The Washington Commanders have to make it to at least the second round of the NFL playoffs for Coach Rivera to keep his job. And even then, there's a little bit of context to that. That's how I see it with soon-to-be Josh Harris's history of coaching decisions. That and more on today's episode of Locked On Commanders. You are Locked On Commanders, your daily podcast on the Washington Commanders. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, Commanders fans of the Locked On Commanders podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is your daily podcast covering the Washington Commanders, so please subscribe or follow for free wherever you get your podcast, and of course on YouTube so you can get all the episodes as they drop, including this live mailbag episode here Tuesday afternoon as we like to do it. I'm David Harrison, credential member of the media covering your Washington Commanders for Commander Country as part of Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation. You can find me there, here, or on Twitter at dharrison82. And, of course, you can text me anytime via subtext at 202-760-2644. Thanks for making Locked On Commanders your first listen or your first view today. And every day, every day is out there. We're going to continue our look at this roster as we get closer to OTAs. And training camp tomorrow is going to be our second-year player review. And then later in the week, we've got some more film study coming up with some more draft picks for the Washington Commanders, all leading into next week's first OTA session. So we had some really good questions coming into this week's mailbag episode. Uh, and I'll tell you what, Commanders fans are really, really good at asking some thought-provoking questions because it prevents me a little bit from getting a ton of questions in each of these episodes. But don't worry, I've actually got a document where I keep track of your guys' questions uh, for future use. So if your question has not been answered on this episode, don't worry, I have your question. I've got it saved, and uh, I will get to them uh, as we get through these mailbag episodes moving forward. We've got plenty of offseason to talk about all of these questions, so keep them coming. In fact, if you've got more questions you want to get in for future mailbag episodes, drop them in the live chat if you're with me during the live uh, shooting of this show, or if you're not, drop them in the comment section. Of course, you can also email them, text them to me. Uh, all that information will come later but first question uh is really a multi-part question right I've, I've gotten this question on twitter i've seen them in the comments i've definitely gotten them via text uh from my subtexters so had more than a few people asking what is the minimal minimum level of success that ron rivera and his coaching staff has to achieve in 2023 in order to have a realistic shot uh, at keeping their jobs at the end of the year and i think first and foremost it's important you know, to talk about, you know, soon to be owner, expected soon to be owner, Josh Harris. Again, there are some hurdles uh, that still have to be cleared, but I think for the most part, we all pretty much expect this thing uh, to go through and that Josh Harris and that group will uh, eventually be the owners of the Washington Commanders. So first and foremost, there's a possibility here, right, that anything short of a Super Bowl is uh, for the team is going to get Ron Rivera and his staff fired right like that's that's just kind of the reality of this group if if josh harris and this group and uh, again we're presuming that the sale is going to go through the snyers kind of making their public statements and all those things uh certainly points in that direction uh josh harris and his group could be looking to make a complete overhaul uh, on this team as far as a staff personnel is con concerned coaching staff uh front office all those things basically any public facing person on this team could be removed because the Josh Harris group might decide they just want to kind of get rid of all remnants of uh, the Snyder era, as it were. So, but 
even if that's not the case though, right? So, so again, in that situation, you pretty much it's Super Bowl or bust. If you don't win a Super Bowl, there's pretty much no chance of you uh, sticking around. But one of the great things here is that both Josh Harris and, of course, the more popular, more well-known uh, face of the ownership group, if you were Magic Johnson, have sports ownership history, and Magic Johnson has sports executive uh, experience here. So th- these guys aren't coming into this as just you know raw businessmen who are going to dip their toes into the sports world for the first time. Josh Harris, not only the co-owner of the Philadelphia 76ers, but also a uh, part of the ownership group that owns the, the NHL's New Jersey Devils. So there's some experience here with this group because of that. I do think that the realistic floor for Coach Rivera and his staff keeping their job is earning a playoff spot and doing it with quarterback Sam Howell and make it to making it to at least the divisional round of the playoffs with no worse than a competitive loss in the divisional round playoffs if you don't make it to the NFC Championship game. And look, that, that might seem like pretty high marks that this, this team and this coaching staff has to hit uh, in order to do that. But I think realistically, when you look at it, this team is what? two, maybe three wins away. Uh, If you take that tie off against the New York Giants, turn that into a win and get another win or two, you're probably in the playoffs. And then, look, you're two wins away uh, from making it. And I know that sound makes makes it sound more simplistic than it really is, but we've seen teams catch lightning in a bottle uh, before. So how did I get to that floor, though? Like, is that just some some arbitrary? I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to throw – I think this will sound good, and and maybe it'll get some clicks and all this stuff. No, there's actually a little bit of of, uh, research done in this. And, again, None of this stuff is going to transfer 100%, right? So it's really kind of all how you read the interactions and read the decisions. So we can't really attach much to Magic's ownership history because, first of all, he's a minority owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers, very, very small ownership stake in the Los Angeles Dodgers, and he joined a group that already had ownership. Like He wasn't a part of a new buying group. He wasn't an initial investor uh, in this group, in this sale of the Dodgers. He joined uh, a group that already owned them, and to be honest, even his time as Lakers president, uh, that time ended with conflict, rumors, hurt feelings. So I'm not really sure how much we really take from that. It doesn't seem like Magic really had full you know, autonomy in, in making some of these decisions. And at the end, his general manager was retained after he stepped down uh, and his general manager was given more authority after he left. So it, it's kind of a murky situation there. But of course, Magic is the more popular owner, right? He's the name that more people are going to recognize. But He's not the more in control owner. That would be Josh Harris. He's going to be the majority owner. And then there's several other owners that are below Josh Harris, uh, as far as investment is concerned, that are going to have a larger stake than Magic anyway. So I wanted to address the Magic Johnson thing just because I know he's the most popular name. So I wanted to get that out there. But with Harris, we're now looking at the Philadelphia 76ers and the process, right? Quote, unquote, Harris and co-owners, 76ers co-owner David Blitzer got control of the franchise in 2011. Now, the process began, uh, you know, unofficially, I suppose, in 2013, 2014. For those unfamiliar, real quick, not going to dive too deep into this, but basically the process was the 76ers uh, roster building approach developed by former 76ers general manager uh, Sam Hinkie based around the idea that basically Philly was going to stockpile a lot of top-level NBA draft picks, get young star players, and develop a dynastic roster in that process. But it would take several years of playing with bottom-level players Uh, to get those picks and star players tanking is essentially what the 76ers did uh, for multiple years for the purpose of drafting top young players coming into the NBA and trying to develop this again, dynastic uh, roster there in Philadelphia. But we're not talking about the commanders tanking because that, that, that type of process is not going to continue. But we are talking about is the survival of coaches under soon to be owner, Josh Harris, when inheriting a struggling franchise 
that does have some promise because I think that's where the Philadelphia 76ers and the Washington Commanders can kind of mirror each other when you look at Josh Harris in his uh, introduction as the owner of each franchise. And that is going to start with Josh Harris's first coach in Philadelphia, Doug Collins. So that's where we're going to start this conversation. And I'll show you how I got to the results uh, that I got to as far as Ron Rivera's floor in order to try to keep his job uh, with this new ownership group. We're going to do that here next on today's episode of Locked On Commanders, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of Locked On Commanders is brought to you by FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. I'm taking the Denver Nuggets to win game one against the Los Angeles Lakers in the first game of the Western Conference Finals tonight as we speak uh, over again over the Los Angeles Lakers. The Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics will get the Eastern Conference Finals started tomorrow. Currently, Boston is eight-point favorites in that game. I am taking the favorites, but again, I am taking the money line. If you want to place your bets, if you want to take the points or don't take the points, there's no better place to do so than at America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Thanks again for making Locked On Commanders your first listen or your first view today and every day. Every day is make sure you come back tomorrow. I'm going to be diving into Washington's sophomore class, review their rookie seasons, and look ahead to their second. That was inspired by a YouTube question from Jay. So, Jay, that's where I'll be answering your question. Again, a lot of great questions from Commanders fans that just they, it inspires in-depth uh, conversation and research. And, of course, if you have a question that you want dropped on the next uh, mailbag episode dropped in the live chat comment section email or subtext and I'll stash those for another episode down the line just like I do uh, every week and again answering another question this one uh, coming from multiple people really asking what the minimum standard the minimum level of success that Ron Rivera and his staff has to have in order to keep their jobs under presumed new owner uh, incoming owner to be Josh Harris so kind of talked about the connection with the 76ers now we have to talk about the history of coaches and their survivability under owner uh, Josh Harris. Former 76ers coach Eddie Jordan was fired after one season, but he was fired before Josh Harris came in as the co-owner of the team and during the same offseason where the ownership changed. So he is not the first coach technically fired in the Josh Harris tenure, although it happened in inside the same year, inside of a couple of months uh, of each other, really, actually. The first coach fired would be Doug Collins, who was hired in 2011, the same year that Harris came to co-own the team and then fired following the 2013 season. Well, not really fired, uh, but kind of stepped down, moved into an advisor role, all those things. Now, Collins predates the process, quote unquote. But the bottom line is here, Harris brought in and bought an NBA franchise that hadn't had a head coach uh, finish his tenure over 500 since 2009. And he only had one other coach depart the team over 500 since 2003, and that was Larry Brown. Now, Doug Collins survived his first two seasons with the Philadelphia 76ers with records of 500 and winning percentages of 530 in, in the NBA. That's an NFL equivalent of like 8-8-1 eight, eight and one and 9-8, and eight. Uh, but he was fired after a 415 winning percentage, which is equivalent of about seven wins in the National Football League. Now, that is when the process began. 
2013, after Collins resigned and again moved into the advisor role, the team hired Brett Brown. And Brown and uh, Hinky led this process uh, situation evaluation, led the 76ers for seven seasons, didn't win more than 28 games in his first four seasons. So remember, they fired Doug Collins. Or, no, I don't say fired. I keep saying fired. He stepped off uh, the head coaching perch into an advisor role following what would be the equivalent of a seven-win season in the NFL. And then the next coach for the next four seasons won no more than the equivalent of six NFL games. So interesting development there. Basically, Brown and Hinky, the GM, were given patience, and they were given time to build their roster through this process, as it's been coined. But once it came time for that process to turn into championship aspirations and contention, which it didn't, then they were let go. The 76ers went a different direction. Uh, currently being led by head coach Doc Rivers. So he was retained, however, and that's where kind of this whole connection comes in, though, right? Josh Harris and his co-owner, they retained the GM. They retained the head coach through this quote-unquote process because they believed in the process. Because they, And I, and I don't mean that as the quote-unquote process. I just mean in the system that this, this leadership group had in building their roster, roster and what they were engaged in doing, the plan, uh, so to speak. Now, Ron Rivera has talked several times about having a three-year plan every year that three-year plan just extends. So every year is the first year of a three-year plan. You Right now you have year one, year two, year three, looking out ahead into the future. Next year, you take what happened in the previous year, you adjust everything, you have a new three-year outlook uh, that kind of adjusts based off of what has happened. So because the 76ers coach and GM combination was kept for multiple losing seasons, and in fact, six win seasons uh, that you would equate to the NFL, it made sense to the ownership. That's why Josh Harris and his co-owner decided to go through with this, you know, again, process is because it made sense. They saw the potential. They saw the vision. And not only that, but they also agreed with it. Now, we've heard Ron Rivera, right, talk about two critical things that he needs to do this offseason that I think are going to impact this decision by the Harris-led ownership group. He talked about finally being able to roster build and learning from his experiences in Carolina when they went through an ownership change to the current owner, David Tepper, and how to better communicate his vision for the team. Given Harris's experience again with the 76ers, I believe those two things, how Rivera can show that this team is building its roster and how the current roster folds into future plans and contingency plans for their most likely points of failure and getting that plan communicated clearly to Harris, to the group uh, and the partners is going to be critical but this isn't the nba you can't come in with a seven win team eight win team and say we're going to tank for three years we're going to get a bunch of number one overall picks or top five picks that's not how this works in the national football league so the process isn't going to work but the patience and belief in the coach and gm and their plan can that's what ron rivera has to tap into so like i said realistically the floor for coach rivera is to prove the concept of how he's developing a winning commander's roster. And you do that by earning a playoff spot, not getting a playoff spot, earning a playoff spot. There has to be a playoff berth where the Washington Commanders go out there and they win the games they need to win to clinch the spot. It's not a situation where, okay, we lost this game in week 15, but if so-and-so loses or this team ties or this thing happens or this amount of hot dogs get sold in Baltimore versus popcorn in Los Angeles, we get a playoff spot. No, you have to go in there and you have to take your spot in the postseason tournament. And you have to do it with quarterback Sam Howell. This is a conscious decision. Again, you talk about the roster building. Ron Rivera essentially saying, we now have the ability to start with a young quarterback on a rookie deal, pay the pieces around the quarterback position, start to build that roster 
around the quarterback. Well, if you're going to take that method, and a lot of teams have taken that method, you've got to put the right quarterback, the right young quarterback in that situation for it to work. So this team has to win with Sam Howell, not in spite of Sam Howell. And you guys know what I'm talking about. The defense can be the hero. Like, I'm not saying Sam Howell has to put up 40 points a game, right? The defense can be the hero. The run game can still be the hero. But the quarterback has to make the plays that the team needs the quarterback to make to help the team win, not avoid mistakes to prevent the team from losing, if that makes sense, right? So if you understand that. And this can't be a wild card round exit, right? If you go to the wild card round and you get eliminated, especially if you get eliminated easily and you don't make it to at least the divisional round of the playoffs with even a competitive loss, then – What's going to what, what's the conversation going to be? Let's say it's the Detroit Lions that didn't make the wild card round because the Washington Commanders got that final spot. Well, people are going to say, oh, the Detroit Lions would have competed better in that wild card round, or you know, heaven forbid you get blown out of the wild card round, then it's even worse. No, you've got to make it to the wild card round, earn that spot, do it with Sam Howell, and you've got to make it past that first round of the playoffs. Uh, even if you lose in that division round to a really good team in a competitive game. I would say that's still feasible, right? We're talking about the bottom floor. We're talking about the minimum standard here in order to make this thing happen. I think if you're Josh Harris, you're this ownership group, you're inheriting a team that just won eight games, that's won seven games in, in, in two of the last three seasons, you can't go lower. You can't go lower than that and continue or expect to continue your process. No pun intended, but that is the word that we're going to use here. You've got to show that potential, communicate that vision, and demonstrate that that vision can actually work. Uh, and then, you know, how you can take this roster from playoff team, wild card winner, division round competitor, final four in the NFC to an even further level in the following years, you know, moving forward again to communicate that three year plan. To me, that's how Ron Rivera keeps his job. That's how the staff uh, stays intact. And then maybe again, we can see Ron Rivera and his staff in 2024. Personally, look, I'm pulling for him. I like him. I think the players love him, you know, from everything that we gather, the players love him. And bottom line, I want Commanders fans to be celebrating winning football. I want Commanders fans to be excited about the postseason. So, of course, I want it to work out. But speaking of roster building, this roster is not done yet. It's certainly got a lot of pieces answered or filled, and it's certainly got a lot of positions filled. But we've got another question in the mailbag coming up on this episode. We're going to talk about some more holes on the Commanders roster. That's coming up on today's episode of Locked On Commanders. All right, guys, final segment of today's episode of Locked On Commanders is mailbag episode. Thanks to everybody joining me live here. And of course, thanks if you're joining me later on in audio or in video format on YouTube. Appreciate you as well. If you have questions that you want answered in future mailbag episodes, you can drop them here during the live chat or in the comment section. Or of course, you can email them and text them to me, which is uh, seems to be the, pres- the preferred method for Commanders fans is to email me or text me. Uh, via subtext shout out against all the subtexters and the everydayers this question coming from a subtexter uh keith who, who asks what do you see as our weak spots or unanswered questions still after the draft and free agency that need to be dealt with before training camp well keith i'm going to give you three i'm going to call them groups right two position groups and then the last group of players i'm actually going to give you three players that i would just like to see this team uh you know kick the tires on even if they're not necessarily in a position of dire need at this point in time. And that's, you know, it's all, it's all a a subject to interpretation and opinion, but the first position group I'm going to start with today uh, that I would like to see the Washington commanders address with 
by adding talent, obviously, before uh, training camp rolls around is the linebacker position. Now, right now, if you look at the top four linebackers for this team, obviously, you've got Jamin Davis. You've got Cody Barton, uh, the new addition from the Seattle Seahawks roster. You also have veteran David Mayo, and you've got Kalik Hudson uh, behind him. That th Those are my kind of top four linebackers uh, for this team. There's some other good players. Milo Eifler is still out there um, on the roster. But to me, that position group, I don't hate this this lineup. You know what I mean? Cody Barton is an unproven commodity, so we got to see uh, still what, what he can provide on the field and how he looks on the field. We'll get our first chance to do that here coming up soon in veteran minicamp and OTAs. Jamin Davis took took really good strides, I think, in, in year two, so that's very promising. David Mayo is a steady veteran. I like Kalik. I think that he does a lot of good things on the field as well, but I don't know that he's necessarily, you know, if you ever needed to rely on him to be kind of that starter uh, fill-in for any reason, whether it be an injury or, or anything like that, I just I just don't know how how successful that can be as, as, a, as a backup player, right? So, uh, some free agents here. And look, I did a free agent every day, as you, you know this. I did a free agent episode not that long ago. Um, don't worry. The name that made a lot of people angry is not going to come up in this episode. But one name that a lot of people did like was Rashawn Evans, linebacker who is currently a free agent, coming off of a contract with the Atlanta Falcons. Started a lot of games for the Atlanta Falcons, played a lot of snaps for the Atlanta Falcons. Now, my understanding is that he does or would like to return to the Falcons, and there is some talk inside the Falcons organization that they would like to bring him back. But we're past the draft. We're into this phase. If Rashawn Evans wants to play football in 2023, the clock is starting to tick a little bit on where he's going to go. If you're the Washington Commanders, Rashawn Evans comes in. He is a direct competitor to Cody Barton. This is a situation where you're bringing in Rashawn and you're saying, look, Rashawn, Cody, Jamin's got his spot over here. One of you two is going to have your spot next to him. Let's go find out who that guy is going to be. May the best man win. And, and all those things. And I think that's really the best way when you don't have a 100% solidified answer at that position, bring in competition and let the best guy uh, go get the job. If it's not Rashawn Evans, another option out there who could still be a little bit of a competitor, Deion Jones coming off of a deal with the Cleveland Browns. Ironically enough, a former Atlanta Falcons linebacker, uh, most recently though played for the Cleveland Browns, did have some injury issues, didn't leave Atlanta kind of with the best taste in their mouths. And, I, you know, I don't know how much of that was Atlanta, how much of that was Dion, But Dion Jones, he's a rangy type of player, very athletic type of player, uh, energetic, loves to make big plays. That's probably the, the area where, like, Jack Del Rio would probably have to kind of rein him in a little bit and kind of get him to buy into, you know, Ron Rivera says all the time, the play doesn't care who makes it. Dion Jones is, is a guy who probably have to learn that a little bit. Another option that's still available out there as a free agent linebacker Zach Cunningham coming into free agency from the Tennessee Titans. So Rashawn Evans, Deion Jones, Zach Cunningham. To me, linebacker is the first spot. If there was one position group where I could tell the Washington Commanders to go add talent between now and training camp, that would be the group. Uh, and those are the three guys, honestly, in that order. Rashawn Evans, then Deion uh, Jones, and then Zach Cunningham, uh, if I could. Now, my second group, and this is where I made some people mad last time I had this conversation, is the receiver group. And look, I understand there there's a there's a perception out there uh, that this team is stacked at receiver, and I appreciate that perception. But bottom line is, to me, you have three starting receivers. Every NFL team in today's NFL game has three starting receivers. For the commanders, those three are Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel. Very good, very solid. I'm not asking for anybody to come in and compete for a starting job. I like those three. I want to keep those three. When you're talking about depth, you need to be prepared to replace each of those players. The next three receivers are Deami Brown, Marcus Kemp, and Dax Milne. Honestly, guys, I don't know that Dax Milne makes this roster this year. Um, if he does, that's it's more of a 
indictment of the depth and the other players that are competing for spots than it is, I think, a benefit to Dax. Now, don't get me wrong. He looked good last year in training camp. He did some good things in preseason. It just never really materialized. Diami, I'm a big fan of Diami. I like what Diami can do on the field, and I think maybe with quarterback Sam Howell taking over, that relationship can really kind of help him blossom more into that fourth receiver uh, and become a, a, a really legitimate number four receiver on this roster. Marcus Kemp obviously has the Chiefs connection, so that's going to be important, but we'll see how that really pans out. Again, haven't been able to see him on the field uh, as of yet, but I, I look at those next three, the second three receivers, and I just don't think that you have to be sold on those guys. I don't think that you have to say those three guys are just untouchable, that there's no room for, for com competition right now. Kyrick McGowan is a guy who's coming back. Jalen Sample uh, is a UDFA that a lot of guys are, ex are excited about. Mitchell Tinsley, Casimir Allen has some returnability and some, some uniqueness to him. And then Jada Bonds, uh, the star of rookie minicamp. So there are some free agents though that I wouldn't mind the Washington commanders bringing in. Cause again, Kyrick, you know, he's the guy who's got some experience on this roster on this team. But the rest of these guys are UDFAs, and, and you know UDFAs can certainly carve out a spot for themselves, make a name for themselves, but typically UDFAs are there for a reason. But there are some other names. Nikhil Harry uh, out of Chicago Bears, coming from the Chicago Bears, formerly the New England Patriots. He's a big, tall type of receiver. Uh, again, you, know, you want to have as much versatility as you can. Right now, you don't have that big body type of receiver really solidified on this roster. So if you get into a red zone package or you get into a situation where you want that kind of a guy, then Nikhil Harry is a guy who can come in and compete. Uh, and again, all of these contracts you're talking about, the, you're not going to get a lot of guaranteed money here. You're not going to get a lot of things that are tying the team to these guys. So if they need to release them in training camp, brought them in, it didn't work out. You're not going to hurt your team by making these moves. Another option, not a big body guy, but Demarcus Robinson coming out of the Baltimore Ravens organization, former Kansas City Chief, probably his best years in the NFL were with the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I don't know the details on his relationship with Eric Bieniemy per se. So obviously that's going to have a big part to do with it, but he's another receiver can come in, provide some depth behind guys like Deami Brown. And of course you're starting three and potentially do some things. Plus he can help the, uh, the rest of the receivers learn the offense like Marcus Kemp can, but he's got a little bit more of the skill set that some of the guys that are already on the roster have. So it might translate just a little bit. Uh, and then lastly, Sammy Watkins, look, another chiefs connection also coming out of the Baltimore Ravens organization as a free agent. But what's interesting here is, when you talk about relationships, I think you'd be a little bit more confident that Sammy Watkins may want to play for Eric Bieniemy again because he once took a pay cut to stay with the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, that could just be ring chasing, right? He could just be saying, I want to win another ring. It may not be just love for EB or love for Andy Reid or anybody like that, but if he took a pay cut to stay with the Kansas City Chiefs, it, there's a possibility there that he wouldn't, be, he wouldn't mind coming back to a similar type system where he had that success in Kansas City. So those are three receivers. Uh, again, Nikhil Harry, Demarcus Robinson, and Sammy Watkins that I'm looking at because, again, I don't think that the depth of the wide receiver group, top top level, even you know top four, I'm happy with. I think beyond the top four guys, you need to bring in some competition uh, beyond just the UDFAs, although I do think that the UDFAs are going to provide some good competition once we get the veterans in here. Uh, lastly, I'm not going to go with a position group. I'm just going to name three more players that I would kind of like to see the Washington Mayors maybe kick the tires on. Uh, the first one, offensive guard, Dalton Reisner. Look, he's been in the NFL four years, played for the Denver Broncos all four years, started all but four games in those four years. Yes, he's the Denver Broncos lineman that got into a shouting match with uh, Mark Rippon, or, or uh, the Denver Broncos back quarterback. I think that's his first name. Um, 
But Dalton Reiser is a guy, I remember back in the 2019 NFL scouting combine, really impressed by his personality, by his leadership, by the way that he kind of explains the game. You can kind of see that football IQ. And look, he's been starting for the Denver Broncos for four years for a reason. Uh, it's not that he's terrible at his job, right? Bring him in for competition, bring him in as another potential uh, member of the offensive line from a depth situation. We saw what this team went through with the injuries on their offensive line last year continue to explore opportunities and at this stage in the game again you're going to get a guy for not a lot of guaranteed money uh not a lot of money just up front period probably a one-year deal Dalton Reisner is a guy who kind of fits that bill another offensive lineman a center this time Billy Price uh, I like him to come in behind Nick Gates behind Ricky Stromberg compete with Tyler Larson for that third center job you know what I mean if he beats out Tyler Larson we like Tyler but at this point in time like we kind of know what Tyler Larson is or isn't going to be so if he's not ever going to be that number two option or that starting option let's bring in a guy in billy price who's got some potential still a fairly young guy and see if maybe we like him a little bit more than tyler if not again you're talking about a low guarantee if not no guarantee type of contract low money no harm no foul in that situation then finally cornerback Artie burns and this one's a little bit more interesting because Artie burns is kind of known as a guy with a little bit of fire a little bit of cockiness a little bit of an attitude um, but he's a nickel and again, depending on the usage of guys like Emmanuel Forbes, we saw him doing a lot of nickel work during rookie camp. But is that just them testing the waters or is that really the plan? Quan Martin wasn't available at rookie camp, unfortunately. Uh, he shared on social media that his grandmother recently passed away. So our hearts uh, and condolences go out to Quan and, of course, to his family. Uh, incredibly happy that she was able to see him get drafted to the NFL. But unfortunately, uh, they did lose Quan's grandmother. Uh, again, he he shared that on uh, social media recently so hard go out to him we know that he's got that nickel potential but also they may look at him as more of that traditional bobby mccain play deep as a free safety and either way you still want that ability to move Quan back and forth as you need to so if you have to rely on him to be your nickel that kind of removes that ability to be as flexible as you want to kendall fuller certainly could play inside but certainly could play outside benjamin st juice could play inside could play outside percy butler We've seen him run the traditional free safety. We've seen him do a little bit of Buffalo, even though he's not the biggest guy. We've seen him do some nickel work. Danny Johnson, really at this point in time, and again, we don't know what the full plan is for these rookies, right? So it's a grain of salt type of situation. But right now, Danny Johnson is really your only, what I would call true nickel. Like he's not a guy, Danny, who, who you're saying, well, maybe he'll do this, maybe he'll do that. No, like he's a nickel. Well, Artie Burns is also a nickel. So if you bring Artie Burns in, even if it's just for camp, even if it's just for a, a tryout, He's a guy who's a nickel. He's not, you're not worried about him maybe playing outside, maybe playing free safety. So, again, you know, a lot of this depends on what the plan is inside the commander's defensive room. I don't know those answers, so this is just me from seeing the roster from the outside. You know, if, if Jack Del Rio heard me say this, he might go, that. that's ridiculous because of the plans that we have, and that's fair. Um, but I think Artie Burns is interesting. I think the talent is still there. There's still potential to be tapped into. Again, he's still a young guy, but he is known as a fiery uh, personality. He's been in his fair share of fights on the field. So, it would be interesting to see if the Washington Commanders would feel confident in their leadership and their building to bring a guy like that in and be able to kind of accentuate the talent while containing some of the uh, adversity that he can bring uh, to the field. So those are two groups I'd like to see Washington add talent to between now and camp, and then three players I'd like to see based on their potential. So not so much a need in the group per se, right, but uh, certainly good players that can bring some competition, of course. Really, none of this can happen until June 2nd at the earliest when Chase Roulier's cap relief hits uh, or until the commanders make another roster move to free up some cash. So that's going to wrap, wrap up this live mailbag episode, guys. I want to thank you for making Locked On Commanders your first listen 
or your first view today and every day. I want to appreciate everybody. I see a few questions in the live chat that we will definitely uh, save. I'll put on my document and we will address on a later episode. If you want to uh, ask your questions, again, drop them in the comments, drop them on Twitter, or drop them in the email inbox, lockedoncommanders at gmail.com, on Twitter at dharrison82, uh, and or you can text me anytime, 202-760-2644 via subtexters. Every dares, I'll be back tomorrow with my second year player review of the rookie seasons and preview of the year to come. Signing off for today, I'm David Harrison, staff writer for Commander Country, part of Commander, part of Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation, credential member of the media covering your Washington Commanders, and more importantly, hanging out with you today and five days every week. Until we speak again, if you're out and about, please be safe, be kind to one another, and I'll see you right back here next time for another episode of Locked On Commanders. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.